Hey, Cryptonauts, welcome back to another episode of Cryptocurrency Chat. I am your host, Jake Chaparelli. If John's on out of town right now, so and Mike is doing his own thing, I'm the only one here, but we're going to talk about the news. But let's first just talk about the things that happen. You know, kind of plug the channel if you haven't already heard. You can, you can always donate to us through all these different methodologies. But we mostly want you guys to know about is the Discord channel, which we gladly welcome you to come check out. There's all kinds of neat things to do there. Lots of different coins to discuss, but you can always check us out on YouTube. You probably are watching us on YouTube, but if you're not on Anchor, thanks for watching us there, listening to us there, rather. You can use Tip and Me, Twitter to talk to us, Twitch, and of course, we always promote Odyssey because Odyssey is really cool as in it's on the blockchain. It is a video, audio, photo, media of all kinds place for you to upload your content. So check out Odyssey. We're on Odyssey at C3 Media. Of course, we also have these t-shirts. We will be adding more swag eventually here. But uh, we thank you for those of you who have purchased before. Uh, but this is the current content. We have a job of the day. Job of the day is engineering manager for CD for Coin DCX. Engineering manager for this platform. Just with more than 10 million users, Coin DCX is India's fastest growing and safest way to crypto. We're on a mission to make crypto accessible to every Indian. So, I mean, I guess that means wherever Indians live in the world, not just people in India. Our aspirations are much bigger and we strive to contribute to the larger eco uh, crypto ecosystem. For this, we're looking for talented people like you to join our team and fulfill this mission. What will you be doing? You will manage a team of highly talented engineers across different levels of experience, leading a team of engineers, monitoring them, and motivating them to solve complex problems, sharing timely feedback with the team members. Put on a product manager hat and collaborate with stakeholders to gather requirements and translate them into an effective engineering roadmap, etc., etc., etc. If you know what an engineering manager is, it's a manager that manages engineers. And that is a remote job for CoinDCX. So even though they do serve Indians primarily, you could be anybody. As long as you know how to be an, a manager, in particular for engineers, you may be good for this job. Check it out in the link in the description below. And our, close to my heart here, Dan Held's comment, or rather quote for the day here, came from the 1st of September. He says, Today's panic sellers will be tomorrow's panic buyers. Ignore the noise. Dollar cost average and hodl. Good advice there, Dan. I appreciate your very quotable commentary on crypto. Moving over to the news. So, uh, as you may well be aware, this is going to be episode 438. And this is also a Sunday. And it's a Sunday evening. And so we read about the news that has happened over the last week. This week on crypto Twitter. Avalanche, exposed by self-proclaimed crypto whistleblower. And Ted Cruz visit crypto mine. Scrolling on down here, I'm going to be reading most of this, not just commentating on it. So let's blow it up so you on the uh, on your phone can read what I'm talking about. Crypto prices this week were again underwhelming across the board, despite signs of growing adoption in regulation and slight progress in crypto lenders Celsius and Hodlnot's ongoing insolvency issues. It was another excruciatingly slow week though relatively short on losses. This is good. However, on crypto Twitter, things were a lot more scandalous, as they tend to be. A self-proclaimed crypto whistleblowing site called CryptoLeaks, sounds like familiar or something Julia Assange would have done, 
last weekend published a lengthy and damning expose of a lawyer employed by Avalanche called Kyle Roche. I'm going to read some of these Twitter points because these are actually very interesting. I'm not going to play the video, but you guys can check it out if you like. Kyle Roche at Roche Friedman, the secret Avalanche law firm, RF litigates against Ava Labs competitors to draw out SEC and CFTC to them and away from Ava Labs. Roche ensures there is no such thing as regulation for what they, Ava Labs, want to do. The report includes clips from undercover videos of Roche at two separate meetings in which he confesses to having deep vested interest in Avalanche, though owning, or rather through owning both a percentage of the token supply and significant shares. Roche confessed to regularly suing Avalanche's competitors because through a quirk in the American legal system, litigation opens up a process called discovery where Roche, the sewer, can get access to the target company's confidential accounts, commercial uh, data, email, Slack, social media communications, and much more, while financially hobbling the defendants and diverting their attention and resources away from the positive blockchain projects. Immediately after the leak, Roche pulled out of the lawsuits against Binance, Tether, and many other crypto companies. By the start of the weekend, the price of Avalanche dropped about 10, 10% over the last seven days. Today, it's still the week's biggest loser among the top 60 cryptocurrencies. Ari Paul, CIO, Chief Information Officer of crypto investment firm Blocktower, was not surprised by the allegations, and I will read his tweet. I assume this is accurate and that it's as bad as it looks, fits with everything I've seen previously from both Sarah and Roche, from a lawyer friend on Roche a few weeks ago, quote, dumb version of mob lawyers, bottom of the barrel, unquote. And here's his link to the case info. Binance CEO, Chengfeng Zhao, a.k.a. CZ, shared Avalanche CEO Imen Gun Sirer's Official response to the allegation, CZ also wrote some tweets referencing the leak that he later deleted. Both sides of the story, who's funding all these hit pieces, is the quote from CZ. Sarah's official statement downplays the extent of Roche's actual involvement in Avalanche. Sarah also claims that Roche's lawsuits were filed without Avalanche's knowledge and that the Roche's firm, Roche Friedman, is one of more than a dozen law firms we employ for matters relating to tax, corporate, regulatory, regulatory, and human resources. That same day, Roche himself tweeted a Medium post dismissing the CryptoLeaks article as numerous unsourced false statements and illegally obtained highly edited video clips that were not presented with accurate context. Ha! Yeah, he doth protest too much. Uh, That's a quote from Shakespeare. Finally, when Decrypt broke the news later in the week that Roche pulled out of the lawsuit against Binance. CZ was upset to see his exchange dragged into the dispute. Okay, dude, if you don't want to play, don't play. In other lawsuits, Washington, D.C. attorney Carl, uh, Carl Racine announced he was suing Bitcoin whale Michael Saylor and his cloud company MicroStrategy for allegedly evading state income taxes by claiming he was a Florida resident, which doesn't have an income tax, despite spending most of the year in Washington. And here is a quote from Racine. Continuing on, NFT Twitter. Board Ape Yacht Club made its worldwide TV debut Sunday night at the MTV Music Awards in a Metaverse-hosted performance by rap icons Eminem and Snoop Dogg of their song 
from the D to the LBC. I'm sure that sounds terrible. I'm not saying it with the right accent, but it was widely panned by NFT critics. Eminem-loving, NFT-hating Redditors were equally unimpressed, and I'll leave you to read those for yourself. Kofi Kafur, Ox Kofi, a partner, or it was probably OX, anyways, a partner at crypto investor firm One Confirmation did some number crunching and reported back the with insights into the NFT industry, including the extent of Twitter's influence. You may read that Twitter quote there. On Thursday, crypto sleuth Zach XBT posted the second part of his investigation into over 600 compromised Discord servers and more than a dozen hacked Twitter accounts in the NFT space. It turns out that a notorious fraudster named Cameron Redmond sold Twitter panel access to a con artist who then fished people and used the purloined funds to purchase an Adamar's Piguet, the address he paid for the watch with its tied to many Discord server hacks. And here's Zach's commentary on Twitter. Other side, the upcoming Board Ape Yacht Club's themed Metaverse game posted a new trailer on Saturday. Here is that trailer. You may watch if you wish. Elsewhere, FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried, because his name is so long, often abbreviated to SBF, shot down rumors that his exchange is planning to acquire Huobi. And here's his quick quote, just to be explicit, because apparently a lot of people are saying this. No, we're not buying that company. Finally, Texas Senator Ted Cruz, in case you didn't care even more, wants you to know he's still a man of the people, I mean Bitcoin. And here's his tweet. So, with all that said, uh, I guess I don't really have too much commentary, although it is kind of interesting to see this stuff about what Zach's XBT exposes. I do appreciate that people are cooking into this. But I'm also very interested in this uh, commentary by Kyle Roche, not his personal commentary, but basically what he's doing. Uh, what he is doing, as they say, a legal loophole, is basically suing those companies so he can get discovery. Discovery meaning he had, that those companies have to dump all that information. Whether he actually sues them and like you know for, takes them to court or not, discovery is still a process of a lawsuit. It's usually what takes the longest in the beginning, but the fact of the matter is if you agree to the lawsuit for whatever reason, either to defend or not, uh, you still have to go through discovery. And the discovery means that person gets access to all this information. And that's kind of unfair because what he's really doing is they've come up with a mob lawyer uh, point is that uh, he's kind of twisting the law to his advantage. And that's kind of unfair. Not to say that it's not just part of the law, but it's really kind of dirty to do that. So it sucks that he, there are people like that in the world. <laughs> it can't just be nice. I mean, I know it's a... It's it's a, you know, the, the world itself isn't necessarily nice, but it's still something that's kind of backward and cruel, kind of like, you know, it's not like you can't, you should take every advantage, right, when you can. But when you're just doing things to be a dick, that's what I'm making the point about. So, moving on to this week in coins, Bitcoin still stuck in a rut, Polygon and Litecoin surge. So this is kind of like, you know, just updates. The prices of crypto market leaders, Bitcoin and Ethereum typically move together. But some weeks form an exception, and this was just such that week. Bitcoin, a number one cryptocurrency in the world with a $380 billion market cap, fell another 2% over the past week, trades for around 19860 on coin cap at the time of this writing. That is Saturday morning. Ethereum, the number two crypto asset with a market cap of about $990 billion, rose to a modest 3.5% over the last week and trades at currently around 1550 
New data from the week. Ethereum name service, the ENS, tells a much bullet, more bullish story. ENS launched five years ago by members of the Ethereum Foundation to enable people to register memorable domains for their crypto wallets instead of being limited to the unwieldy string of random characters and letters that typically represents a blockchain address. ENS reported its third highest month of revenue over August with a $2.17 million ENS domain names created on the service a fortnight ago. That is two weeks. A, the service reported that uh, over the preceding three months, the number of registrations for .ENS domains had doubled. The dramatic spike in ENS activity is likely in anticipation of Ethereum's major network overhaul coming this month. The Ethereum merge will transition the network from the energy-intensive proof-of-work consensus mechanism to the mostly or nearly 100% greener proof-of-stake algorithm. The biggest loser among the top 30, as we spoke before, is Avalanche, and we already know why. Top two cryptocurrencies in the top 20 enjoyed big rallies, and one of them uh, may come as a surprise. Litecoin, LTC, blew up 15% in the last week to over $60, while Polygon's Matic surged about 11% and currently trades around $0.90. Polygon's blistering rally amid adoption news from trading app Robinhood and social media giant Meta. So people getting into Polygon for other reasons and bigger groups. The uh, other leading cryptocurrencies really pretty much didn't move this week. Regulators target crypto risks. On Monday, the managing director of Singapore's Monetary Authority, or MAS, the country's central bank and financial watchdog, Ravi Menon, said at a Green Shoots FinTech seminar that the regulator will begin adding hoops to jump through for retail investors who want to get into crypto. The proposals include customer suitability tests and limiting access to credit facilities. Menon said that the measures are to protect consumers, elaborating that while Singapore welcomes fintech innovation, investors seem to be irrationally oblivious about the risks of cryptocurrency trading. Uh, He's not wrong. But an outright ban is not likely to work. The MAS is also looking to bring in international regulatory reviews and collaborate on harm reduction measures. Paraguayan leaders also spoke about the regulation on Monday. President Mario Abdo Benitez vetoed a bill that would have regulated various crypto activities in the country, including mining. According to the executive decree, the primary reason for the veto was that the energy costs would allegedly outweigh the employment benefits. In the U.S., Rep. Raja Kirshna Murithi, chair of the Subcommittee on Economic and Consumer Policy, a part of the Senate, which forms Congress along the Senate, sent letters to five of the largest crypto exchanges in the U.S. on Tuesday requesting information and documents on how they were working to combat cryptocurrency-related fraud. Kiranish Maruthi also mailed four agencies, the U.S. Department of Treasury, Circuit and Exchange Commission, Community from a Community Commodity Future Trading Commission, and the Federal Trade Commission. If you didn't already know, these are... Uh, the, dot, the U.S. dot, the SEC, the CFTC, and the FTC. Well, a bunch of uh, acronyms there. To solicit policy suggestions and opinions on whether cryptocurrencies should be defined as commodities, securities, or both. And Meta, with Ticketmaster, embracing the NFTs. Facebook and Instagram parent company Meta rolled out NFT features for its properties that uh, that day, including the ability to cross-post NFTs in-app for select U.S. users. 
Meta currently supports Ethereum, Polygon, and Flow NFTs on both Facebook and Instagram. It supports a number of crypto wallets, including MetaMask, Rainbow Trust Wallet, Coinbase Wallet, and Dapper, which can all be connected to verify and share NFTs. On Wednesday, ticketing titan Ticketmaster TTT, <laughs> announced it will utilize Dapper Labs Flow blockchain to mint NFT tickets for certain events. In the last six months, Dapper Labs and Ticketmaster have quietly piloted an NFT program in which Ticketmaster issued ticket NFTs as memorabilia to attendees of specific events, like this year's Super Bowl LVI. More than 5 million Flow NFTs were minted during the pilot, according to Dapper. Singapore-based crypto lender Hodlnot was granted judicial management to organize and restructure by the country's high courts on Tuesday. The firm filed for judicial management on August 13th, seeking temporary protection from legal claims. Just five days prior, it had frozen customers' withdrawals to stabilize liquidity during the industry's ongoing liquidity crisis, a.k.a. bear market. On Thursday, bankruptcy uh, bankrupt crypto lender Celsius said in a court filing that it is seeking the return of some of its customers' funds, and we will be addressing this in a later article, so I'm not going to read it all now. Bitcoin mining difficulty leaps. Bitcoin is getting harder to mine, according to data from BTC.com. Bitcoin's mining difficulty jumping about 10% over the last two weeks. As difficulty increases, miners may face slimmer profits since more computing power and energy is needed to mine while the value of Bitcoin has remained stagnant. Of course, this is the ever-growing problem that when you mine any coin, the more machines you add to uh, <laughs> the, the network, the more you're fighting yourself unless the price goes up. So if it doesn't go up or if it goes down, you're just hurting yourself because you're really just hurting yourself too because the fact of the matter is, and I'm not trying to go on a huge tangent here, uh, it's the same number of coins produced, period, 6.25. So if you add more machines, yes, you may be getting a larger portion of the block, but you're really just fighting yourself in the end. Scott Norris, co-founder of private Bitcoin miner LSJ Ops, told Decrypt that difficulty shrinking is the cause for concern. Because it would mean more miners are dropping off the network, making it less efficient, Norris added a difficult, difficulty increase is an indicator of strong and growing network is actually a good thing, in his opinion. He said, adding that sectors like gas and hydro are championing cheap energy costs and allowing for new generation of long-term mining to emerge. I don't think that's the best reason, but I've got my own reasons for that. So lots of stuff happening in coins this week. I'm kind of in, impressed to see the Ticketmaster stuff uh, in in connection with uh, Coinbase. But just to make a note, this was written by Tim McKee. This was also written by Tim McKee. Giving Tim McKee credit for his excellent writing. Thank you, Tim. Moving on to another article by Decrypt, and this one by Andre Beganitsky. Beganitsky, excuse me. KlimaDAO engages Tusk strategies to push Congress to write DAOs into law. This is not a uh, futures or uh, spot trading. This is actually for the sake of DAOs. The, DAO, the KlimaDAO announced Friday that it is collaborating with politicians to provide a legal framework for DAOs in the Loomis-Gillibrand Responsible Financial Innovation Act. This is the bipartisan act by two different senators. Uh, Claim a DAO's legal team told Decrypt that the DAO had multiple conversions, but the staff members from the office of Sen Senators Cynthia Loomis and Kristen Gillibrand since May. Legislation was introduced to the Senate in June and published on GitHub to gather comments from the technical community. The bill aims to bring clarity to the crypto industry, outlining how 
digital assets should be taxed and how they should be regulated by different government agencies. It also includes definitions for what virtual currencies actually are, as well as for other terms that haven't yet been established by lawmakers, including DAOs. Klimadao hopes the legislation will legitimize its work to uh, in offering carbon-backed tokens that can be used to offset emissions. In a blog post, Klimadao wrote, we are honored to have the chance to work with these senators. Great. They're, they're happy about it. So I want to get down to kind of what's really going on here. So under the framework, DAOs would be classified as business entities adding on the Internal Revenue Code of 1986. The proposed legislation would extend the classification to DAOs effective as 2023. In addition, uh, defines DAOs as organizations that use smart contract computer protocols, which function automatically to effectuate collective action for the business, commercial, charitable, and similar entity. So the definition also uh, clarifies what actions undertaken by a DAO would not count as a form of business activity and be tax exempt, which includes raising funds for charitable purposes and the staking and mining of digital assets. So in June, Polygon and Ethereum scaling platform announced it achieved carbon neutrality by retiring $400,000 worth of carbon credits using DAO. The company claimed the move offset 104 1,794 tons of greenhouse gases represented the, market, the network's carbon footprint since it started operating. So the Climate DAO seems to have a really good purpose, not just in defining a DAO under the law, but in actually helping offset carbon footprint. All right, so continuing on here. DeFi spect- speculators are awaiting Arbitrum token flock to using GMS instead. And why is that? I'm actually quite interested in this. So Arbitrum is one of the most popular Ethereum layer 2 scaling solutions successfully launched its Nitro upgrade the past week. Although the release brought many significant improvements, a native Arbitrum token was not one of them. They're still just dependent upon transactions, not necessarily a token. As investors wait for Arbitrum to launch its own token, Perpetual Futures Exchange, GMX, one of the few native projects built on Arbitrum, has meanwhile become a popular DeFi trading exchange. That's pretty cool. Arbitrum is based on what is known as the optimistic roll-up, a type of data compression technique where many blockchain transactions are rolled up into a single transaction to save process time and fees. Very smart. The Nitro upgrade improves the user experience for application developers, reducing network fees and increasing transaction speed. The upgrade could reduce the protocol's fees by up to 27% as it compresses data sent to the Ethereum mainnet for validation. And here's a tweet regarding that action. In addition, application developers will now be able to compile code using standard languages using, rather than using the previous custom design software. Avertrum still faces a strong competition in alternative Ethereum Layer 2 solution optimism. Optimism does have a native token, whereas Arbitrum still relies on its protocol for revenue. As a result, investors who are interested in Arbitrum exposure have looked into Perpetual Future Exchange, GMX, a permissionless decentralized exchange. GMX enables users to leverage trades up to 30x and has significant transaction volume in recent months. In the daily fee revenue, GMX now only trails, trails only some of the largest crypto protocols such as Uniswap, Aave, and Synthetix. GMX runs on both Arbitrum and Avalanche, a multi-chain smart contract platform made for launching decentralized dApps. 
The GMX exchange operates using two separate tokens, GMX and GLP. The GMX token is used for governance purposes as holders accrue 30% of networks of fees, whereas the GLP accrues 70% of network fees and is a liquidity provider token. Users can only mint GLP on the GMX network by depositing liquidity into pools. If you know how, you know, Pancake and Uniswap work, then you're probably familiar with this concept. However, the GLP's performance depend, uh, dependent on the proportion of the asset in a liquidity pool. GMX should see a token value appreciation in correlation with Arbitrum's network growth. With over $2.5 in total locked value, Arbitrum has quickly become the leading Layer 2 volume on Ethereum as more users look for faster transactions with lower network fees. So hey, that's that's brilliant. Uh, that's one of the very main probably reasons I was not all that interested in reason I moved away from uh, Uniswap being on Ethereum over to Pancake, which is on uh, Binance. So it's the fees, right? And this is a way to evade the fees. I'm sure that Vitalik Buterin did not intend for this high fee structure to be, but I also certain that he did not expect Ethereum's value to ever crest a thousand U.S. dollars. So it's hard to get in when you don't have any money. So on to Cardano with Kate Irwin here. Uh, Cardano Vasil hard fork gets a hard date, and I'm only just going to say it's just a week past the expected expect date. <laughs> expected date for Ethereum's change. So we expect Ethereum to change somewhere around the 15th of September, which is what um, nine days from now, nine eleven days from now. Pardon me. This is the fourth sun, Sunday, the fourth of September. So in a little over a week, we'll see Ethereum change, and a week following that, Cardano will get its own hard fork. That's all I got to say about that. I want to move on to this Bill Murray article by Andrew Hayward. This really sucks. Um, Bill Murray was setting up this uh, charity auction where uh, all the money from the charity was stolen right after the charity in, uh, charity auction ended. I mean, that's summing up what happens happened here, and, and yet we don't seem to know why it happened, but it was all done wrapped Ethereum. Stolen is $174,000 with the tech, and this was all just charity money it wasn't anything he was supposed to be getting all the charity money we have stolen so uh, we don't have an answer as to how or why we just have that it happened and it's it really does suck so moving on again um this is another hack DeFi exchange kyber swap suffers a, a over quarter million dollar front end exploit this uh, article is by suthi summaraj summaraj after the curve finance exploit last month decentralized exchange or dex kyber swap Join the list of DeFi products to suffer a front-end exploit. On Friday, Kyber Network, the liquidity pool uh, protocol on the Kyber swap is built and confirmed. Uh, pro- reports adding that the attack on its website was quickly identified and fixed within a few hours. Good for you guys. Do it quick. Right. At 3.24 p.m. GMT plus 7, we identified a suspicious element on our front-end, Kyber Network tweeted, shutting down our front-end to conduct investigations. We invest identified a malicious code in the Google Tag Manager, the GTM, and immediately disabled it. Per the company's announcement, the thieves were able to compromise the app's front end through the Google Tag Manager script. GTMs are often used by websites to track user activity and data for analytical purposes. Using the injective malicious script via GTM, the hackers made users approve their funds and send them to the hacker's address. This was the first time a hack happened to us after five years, unfortunately, but our team has handled the incident exceptionally well, tweeted Louie Lu, 
uh, uh, Loy Lu, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that name correctly, Kyber's co-founder. Within a few hours since the hack is detected, we identified the malicious code loaded on the fly via a reputable third-party uh, JavaScript library and removed it. Before the fix, however, the hacker was able to move a little over $250 million worth of Ave Matic interest-bearing USDC or AMUSDC uh, tokens to f in four different transactions. Ave exists on Ethereum as well as several other blockchains, including Polygon. The above token represents a, a deposited USD stablecoin on Ave's Polygon uh, and uh, integration. Pardon me, Ave's Polygon integration rather. Each time a token like this is deposited on the lending platform, users receive the interest-bearing version to represent their deposit. It is this interest-bearing version that the hackers nabbed in Friday's exploit. Kyber's network warned all the users to double-check their approvals using the approval tool provided by the Block Explorer Polygon Scan. So, it really does suck that that's happened. And I, I hate to say it, but it I'm not saying all hacks that happen this way, but quite often hacks happen from unsecured third parties. And I'm not saying Google is necessarily an unsecured third party, but maybe the code in the website was unsecured. And it's not like hackers aren't going to try to do everything they can to steal money from you, especially a quarter million dollars. Heck, we've already seen hundreds of millions of dollars go out the door from unsecured websites and poorly designed algorithms. So Celsius, which I mentioned earlier in the... Uh, this week in crypto Twitter, asked to return some of customers' funds in a court filing. And I will just sum it by saying, at least what it says up here, that it was just the custody accounts. In the accounts where the customers had moved their crypto out of the interest-bearing account section, those are the ones that they're trying to give money, the money back to. Because according to Celsius, as I read in the article, that money wasn't stored in Celsius. It's weird how that happens. Celsius so said the filing of the customers, the custody program owned their, owned their assets, while customers using the Celsius Earn or Borrow programs had invested their assets to expect a return. That the debtors have identified significant cryptocurrency assets that they do not believe are property of their estates. Today's filing, uh, accordingly, the debtors believe it is fair and appropriate to permit customers to withdraw those cryptocurrencies assets at this time. Today's notice came after custody... Uh, customers, custody customers, act a, asked the judge on Wednesday to have their funds returned to them separately from the bankruptcy proceedings. The filing Celsius affirmed that uh, the need for caution in determining which assets to return, to whom and when. Allowing customers to withdraw a property that could be subject to later avoidance actions would be akin to choosing to drain a sink full of water and then trying to collect the water after it had been drained through the pipes. The debt holders wrote, incredibly wasteful and inefficient if your goal is to maximize water for later allocation and distribution. Uh, even if approved, the return funds would just be a small piece of the bigger picture. Celsius custody accounts have crypto worth approximately $210 million locked away according to today's filing. So $50 million is not all of it, or roughly a quarter of it. And in, to in total, Celsius owes its customers who use its popular EARN program $4.3 billion in digital assets. The motion in today's filing is scheduled to be discussed in October 6th. So uh, the last thing I want to make, mention here, which I actually kind of on edge about, but I still feel I feel good and bad about this, is this California crypto licensing bill awaits governor's signature. So it passed, the, it passed the House, it passed the Congress 
of California and just waiting for Gavin Newsom's signing off for it to go into law, but it won't go into law until January 1st of 2025. So there is some still time to wait and see. Well, we're only in 2022, we've got some time. A simple stroke of the pen is the last step needed to make California one of its first states to require cryptocurrency-related business to, to obtain a special license to operate within the state. California Assembly member Timothy Grayson introduced the bill AB 2269, the support of Consumer Federation of California, which will establish the digital financial assets law. The law, Senate approved AB 2269 on Monday, will, uh, with the Assembly voting to approve the following day, the bill now goes before the governor. The aim of the proposed law, Grayson says in a press release, is to protect Californians from financial hardship and foster responsible innovation by licensing and regulating the activities of cryptocurrency exchanges, adding that the bill would require licensees to act in the best interest of a customer when it recommends a cryptocurrency. So this is, it seems to be a cryptocurrency exchange bill, not so much just cryptocurrency across the board. While the news of cryptocurrency is part of what makes investing exciting, it also makes it riskier for consumers because cryptocurrency businesses are not adequately regulated and do not have to follow many of the same rules that apply to everyone else, Grayson said in the release. By licensing digital financial asset companies under Department of Financial Innovation and Protection, or the DFPI, the industry will receive necessary regulatory charity and consumers will have established protections. The Assembly member's office added. According to Grayson, the bill will provide customers basic necessary protections promoting a healthy market by making it safer for everyone. Now, I'm not going to go through all of this, but my biggest concern for this being a cryptocurrency operator of a business that does the kind of thing, not necessarily exchanging, um, is that there? what are the loopholes? And interestingly enough, I've looked up 2269, and here is the total text there, and it's quite long. Um, my business doesn't really fall into the space of it quite yet because there's a cutoff of $2 million per, er, per annum, and we're not making that much yet. So uh, I'm still going to read through the rest of this and get, get back to you guys on the data of the, the substance of the act. Uh, I just want to make sure it's not written on behalf of one business as opposed to other businesses. So we'll see how that goes. And it's kind of hard to tell, but I'll be putting this a link to this, the bill here. I'm not saying everybody in here even owns a cryptocurrency exchange business within California. I don't even own an exchange business within California. I just have a crypto Sony mining company, but it may apply to that. So since it does say digital financial asset budget regulation, it's across the board for all cryptocurrencies. We shall see how this goes. That's all the news for Sunday September 4th episode, as I said before, 438. Thank you all for listening. As we always say at the end of the show, stack sats and hodl. Adios.